The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's return to the book of 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3. Here on Sunday mornings, we've been studying this series we've entitled Reset. And the purpose for that title is the fact that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Corinth here, he is encouraging the church to grow, uh, encouraging to reset their eyes and to reset their heart, their affection back to the Lord. Now, when the church started, it started off well. There were some great things that were being accomplished. Many people were coming to know Christ uh, in that city and in that region because of the work of that church and God working through them. Unfortunately, though, as people began to gather, uh, people that were sinners began to gather, they allowed their own focus, their own selfish desires and prides to start creeping in and taking the place over the, uh, the, the, the will and the work of the Lord. And so in that, contention took place. We read that in chapter 1, and there was contentions that were happening, fightings and bickerings. They were attaching themselves to individuals and to preachers, to evangelists, and saying, well, because I'm part of that group, I'm better than you, and just all kinds of infighting was taking place. So the Apostle Paul takes this time underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be able to discuss these matters, to encourage them to take their mind, their heart, and eyes off of those things, and in Instead, put them back on Christ and what matters most. And so he, in, he, he addresses their immaturity. He addresses the fact that they aren't growing like they ought to. That's found actually at the first part of chapter number three, where he says at the last part of verse number one, that they are babes in Christ. And he's encouraging them to grow. Uh, of course, we've discussed several different things. And he started to use a illustration or an example, an example of building. And we've been discussing that for a couple weeks now, in fact. And we'll jump back into that thought as Paul is continuing with that here in verses 18 through 20. So let's read those verses this morning. We'll pray. We'll, we'll do a little bit of recap in the introduction, then jump right into the body and the message this morning. So 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 18. Verse number 18 says, "'Let no man deceive himself. If any among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise.'" For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Our Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather today. We thank you for these that are gathered here. And the Lord, would you help us? Would you speak to us? Would your spirit guide us in this truth this morning? Would you help the truth to draw us closer to you? Would it help us to be that light that you desire for us to be in this world around us. And Lord, would it, would it be a truth that would impact our life and that it, would, uh, that it would just be applied to our life in a way that we might be able to honor and glorify you through all that we do, the way that we live, the decisions that we make. And so God, give me the words to speak as I deliver the message here this morning to help me to say nothing more or less than you'd have me to say. Then we want to honor and glorify you. We want to lift you up. We want to exalt you. We want to uh, just magnify uh, you for who you are, so your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, we have discussed already that the Apostle Paul is uh, likening us as believers and the church as a body uh, to a construction project. And in fact, he encourages the uh, church uh, at Corinth and even us today to remember that each and every individual that's part of the church is, uh, is just part of the crew, if you may, the, 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 the workers, uh, the laborers. Verse number nine, draw, I want to draw your attention back there just quickly. He says in verse number nine, for we are laborers together with God. See, their issue was they were associating themselves with different preachers, and because they were associated with a preacher or an evangelist, they thought they were better than others. And so they said, hey, what Paul is reminding them is that he as himself, Paul, the preacher, uh, if it were to be Apollos, if it were to be Peter even, that was one of the issues they were having with. It didn't matter who it was, they were all just laborers together. We all had our part to play, and they weren't better than another just because of who they were a part of. He even goes on to talk about where the field or, or the uh, place of work should be. He says, ye are God's husbandry. Speaking of the church, that it's the work that the Lord does through the church that reaches out into the world at large and uh, brings that gospel message to them. And notice how he finishes verse number nine. He says this particularly, you, ye are God's building. And so he likens us, the church and us as individuals to this construction project. Well, we understand when it comes to construction, there needs to be a builder. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the wise master builder. And so we need to allow him to have his work in his way. We need to yield to him to let him construct, or as Paul would say to the church at Rome, to allow him to conform us into the image of Christ. And as that takes place, as we yield to the spirit and that construction or that yielding and that uh, that. Uh, that uh, forming uh, is taking place. God is making something beautiful out of our lives and out of our church. Now, he goes on to say this, though, in verse number 12, that as we live our lives individually and as the individuals make up the church, as we have that building process take place, we can either have that building constructed of the right materials of gold, silver, and precious stones, not literally speaking, but figuratively speaking. Those are the things that are going to last and that matter most, the things of God. Or we can allow the materials that won't last, things that are temporal like wood, hay, and stubble. Now, let me ask you a question. When you compare gold to wood, which is going to last longer? Gold, obviously. Wood is going to be prone to rotting. Termites can get inside of it and eat it all up. But gold is going to last longer than wood. When you compare silver to, to hay, which is going to last longer? The silver is. The hay is going to be a lot more prone, if there's a spark, to flashing up and completely burning up. It's gone. And so he's, he's using these comparisons. There's the things of God that builds a good, sustainable, eternal uh, uh, reaching life or the things that are just temporal as well. And so Paul says we've got to be careful. We've got to be considerate about how and who builds our life. That's, let me say it that way. Who builds our life is what is important. Do we allow the Lord to build our life, or are we trying to build our life? Are we, are we, are we building our life on what we want and what we can gather and what we can obtain, or are we building our life off of what the Lord desires of us? That's what matters. And then he goes on to say this, as we moved on, even last week we looked at this. If any man's work, in verse number 14, abides which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And then he goes on to verse number uh, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. 
Notice verse number 17. If any man defile the temple of God, he says, uh, him shall God destroy. So Paul has now warned the believers here at Corinth about their life individually, about their church corporately, that if we are bent on our own desires and doing things our own way, we are going to be guilty of going down the wrong path and could bring complete corruption or destruction to what the Lord has already started. We liken this to, to maintenance that needs to be taken place. Remember this last week? Remember last week when we were talking, we, did, we discussed maybe like that uh, maintenance that needs to be done on a car. You're driving down the road and then that oil light comes on. What is it telling you needs to be done? You need a oil change. Now, here's the question though. Why does your car have that warning light? Why does it have that oil change, change oil soon light or phrase that comes up on the dashboard? Because it's trying to warn you that if you don't get it taken care of, that car is in danger of destruction. So let me ask you a question. If you want that vehicle to last you much longer, I mean, any length of time at all, when that light comes on, what is the reasonable thing for you to do? Change the oil. Now, how many of you would say it would be unwise for us to ignore it or to take a piece of tape and put it over the dashboard so you can't see it anymore and say everything will be okay. That would be unwise for us to do because when we put it off, it just leads to more problems. More problems leads to a complete collapse of the system that, and that car will be, come to destruction. What God says when it comes to our life, when we're not living our life according to God's plans, He's going to send some warning signs, a warning light. And we find those a lot of times in the Word of God, right? But some, why, are we get, why would we heed the warning light on a vehicle, but not heed the warnings of the Word of God? Man, that just seems so weird that we would do that, but we're guilty of it, aren't we? We are guilty of not heeding it. And I believe the reason why we don't heed the Word of God and those warnings from the Word of God is found in these verses we've just read here this morning. Whereas Paul warned the believers in Corinth and us today about the dangers of defiling God's house, now he cautions them about deception in, the, in God's house. We discussed this last week. We discussed the need for maintenance in the house of God, in our lives and in the church. Just going back and saying, this is what the Word of God says, and I want to make sure that I'm lining up with it. Well, here's the deal to this morning. We need to be weary. We need to be warned. We need to be concerned with deception that can fall and come into God's house. Now, the deception that Paul specifically speaks of here in verse number 18 is deception from the wisdom of the world. And I want you to notice number one with me this morning. I was to jump back to verse number 18. Notice Paul's call for a refusal of this deception. The refusal of deception. Verse number 18, let no man what? Deceive who? Himself. Paul says that we shouldn't deceive ourselves concerning the seriousness of the judgment that God will have for us. Let me draw your attention back here again. We're keeping this all in context and following the flow of what's going on. Notice in verse number 13, Paul has been discussing the working. He's already discussed the, the elements in which the, uh, this, this building would be built upon our lives in the church. Verse number 12, that of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Verse number 13, every man's work shall be made. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to say that word out loud. Shall be made what? Manifest. God's going to prove it. God's going to know it. When we stand before God, God is going to already know whether or not what we did in our life was 
in devotion to him or whether or not it was dedicated to our self-pride and our own wants and desires. Did you realize this morning that we can do things in the name of God, but it be for our own selfish desires? And God's going to know that. We can't hide that from God. Like God, God is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. So we might be able to, we might be able to, uh, to, to trick our spouse. We might be able to trick our Sunday school teacher or Bible study leader. We might be able to trick each other, but we're not tricking our God. There's, there's no deceiving our God onto what the true motives and the reasons why we do what we do. And so we're going to stand before him and what we have done and why it was done is going to be made what? Manifest. It's going to be shown. It's going to be proven. So Paul, knowing the seriousness of that matter, he says to the church, listen, be careful not to defile your life and defile the church because you're going to have to stand before God. But further than that, don't let yourself be defiled because you have deceived your own self. Here's the reason why a lot of times we would be guilty of not heeding the warnings. Because we think the warnings is for somebody else and not us. And we've deceived ourselves. How many of you have ever heard that little song, the little tune, It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That song is telling the truth of the fact that we all need it. It's me, oh me, it's me, oh Lord, that needs this truth today. But how many times have we been guilty of reading the word of God ourselves, listening to it taught in a class, or hearing it preached from a pulpit and say, mm, that's good preaching right there. Oh, that's the right truth right there. I wish so-and-so would have heard that. I wish so-and-so would understand that. That when we have that attitude, we are pretty much saying this, I've got it taken care of there. I'm good to go in that scenario. Paul says, hey, be careful. Don't allow yourself to be deceived to thinking that you're, you are better than where you actually are. Don't let yourself deceive yourself thinking that you're okay when you're not. Notice with me as he warns or cautions against uh, and calls them to this refusal of deception. Notice the person of this deception. He says there in verse number 18, let no man deceive who? himself. He doesn't say, let, not let another man deceive you, not let another woman deceive you. He says, don't let yourself deceive you. And how easy is it for us to deceive ourselves, isn't it? To lie to ourselves, to tell, tell ourselves that we are, are better or wiser in an area than we truly are. See, the apostle Paul is still addressing immature believers at this church in Corinth. They would rather attach themselves to men instead of attaching themselves to God. And God is saying, listen, the men that you're trying to attach yourselves to, the reason why you want to attach yourselves to them is because of your perceived, uh, uh, what you perceive to be success in their life. The success that they found in their life is not because of who they are or the talents they have or their own wisdom. It's because of my blessings and work in their life. So instead of trying to attach yourself to them, attach yourself to me. And he's saying, listen, you think you've got it all figured out because you follow Mr. So-and-so. If, if Paul was writing it today, he would say things like this. You think you know best because you follow so-and-so on Twitter. If, 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 if Paul was writing it today, he'd say, you think that you uh, know best and you've got it all together because you're part of this group and you send uh, $10 a month and, and you're part of that membership. You've got the card in your wallet and all those things. What I'm saying is don't allow yourself to think that you are, have arrived, that your, your, your ship has come in, and that you are where you ought to be, especially when you leave God out of the equation, when you leave his word out of the equation. 
He, see, these, peop- these individuals at Corinth, they were not boasting in Jesus. They were boasting in an individual. And they were therefore leaving God out of all of it. And notice the poison of this deception as well. Because verse number 18 says, let no man deceive. That word deceive is a Greek word that means wholly out of or from. Uh, it means thoroughly deceived. It describes someone that is completely taken in this uh, and enslaved. It means it's someone that is missing the truth about reality. Why? Because they've taken the bait on the hook. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been fishing before? How many of you know how, how that works? You've got a hook. On the hook, you put some bait, whether it be live or artificial. But why do you put the bait on the hook? Because you want to allure the, uh, the, uh, the fish that you're trying to catch. This past Monday, we went over to the lake and we went fishing and Carol Ann's five and she can hardly keep the hook in the water, let alone catch anything. But I was proud of her because she had a little mealworm on the hook and she put it down there. And next thing you know, she says, I got one, I got one. And she reels that in, got some help and reeled it in. And she sure enough had her own little fish on there. Now listen, when that fish bites onto that, that bait, it thinks it's getting a good, tasty meal. But in the end, what he's actually getting is getting tricked and getting hooked by the captor. Now, when when it comes to the fishing scenario, listen to me, listen, don't miss this. When it comes to that fishing scenario, if it's a catch and release situation, it's it's just a quick little ride and the fish gets thrown back in the water and it's like, wow, that was intense. (laughs) However, if it's not a catch and release situation and then the fisherman decides, I'm going to keep this fish and take it home for dinner... That's the end of life. Now listen, my friends. Satan is the captor. And Satan wants to dangle that hook of thinking you know it all or thinking you know better or thinking that you can do things outside of God's power and without his help. And he's dangling that hook out there. And listen, we can't gamble with whether or not it's going to be an enticing, wow, that was a great ride, or if it's going to bring destruction in our life. We can't gamble with that. Because notice this, this deception is completely poison because it completely, it takes control of everything. What I say, we said that this word means to be missing true reality. We think that we know something that we don't even know anything about. And just like poison, once it is ingested, it, go, it spreads through the entirety of the body until destruction comes. And if we are not careful, we will allow deception to creep in. And it will spread through every area of our life and will ultimately bring destruction. So we see Paul's call to the refusal of deception. But secondly, in verse number 18, notice the reason of deception. In the second sentence there in verse number 18, he says, If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world. Here, to be wise in this world is to meaning to be wise in the matters of this world. To be focused on what we think makes a person successful or what matters most in this world. Wise in this world is the same equivalent to another biblical phrase that we find that goes something like this. Wise men after the flesh. And what we find here is Paul is saying that this wisdom is a wisdom filled with worldly philosophy and it leaves God and his scriptures completely out. This wisdom often deceives one into believing that he has the answers when in fact he doesn't even know the question really that's being asked. 
We find here the root of this deception. And and the root of this deception truly involves the way we think. Notice the wording there in verse number 18. If any man among you seemeth. Now, when we, let's think about that word seem. We could look and uh, we could look at a, a buffet. All right. We go to the buffet. Man, I miss Golden Corral. Uh, but anyways, that's another story. Uh, we, uh, we, we go to the buffet and, and uh, you look at the buffet. Man, that seems to be tasty. That seems like it'd be yummy. We, we're perceiving it. We don't know it yet, but we're thinking that it would be something that we'd like to have on our plate. However, when he uses the word seemeth here in the scripture, it is from a first person point of view. It's not looking at someone and seem, they, it's not like me looking at Brother Robert and saying, he seems to be a wise guy. All right, that's, that's not it. It's a first person point of view. I look at myself. Man, I, I think I got it all together. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty wise. I mean, I've got, I've got degrees by, behind my name, right, Javi? So I'm, I'm pretty smart. And that's what the Bible's saying here. We could replace the word seemeth with a word that we'd probably more use today, the word think. It, it deals with the way we think today. Not think about others, but think about ourselves. And here we find here the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, if any man among you thinks himself to be wise in this world, oh man, there's the, there's the root of it. There's the issue right there. He is walking around with a mindset on self. You know what that's called? Selfishness. That, that's, that, that's tooting my own horn. And man, how our world is filled with people like that today. A lot of times they call themselves influencers on, on social media and things like that, right? But it's all, it's not a, and I'm, listen, I'm not putting that down. I'm thankful for those who influence people for Jesus. But if it's all about putting my brand out there and making my name, that's simply what it is. It's somehow promoting myself to be better or wiser than others. And so you need to follow me so that you can get all the wisdom that I have as well. This is literally the idea that Paul is, is warning against. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you are something that you're not. And the problem is not that they have knowledge. The problem is not that they've learned. The problem is, is that they're learning in their knowledge. They've left God completely out of the equation and think that they know better than he even. Notice the ruse of this deception. He says there, if any... Man among you seemeth to be wise where? In this world. See, thinking that you are wise in this world, it's the way that this world thinks, the way that they think during this age. And listen, we could have been born at any time in history and it would have been the same thing. If it was the first century, if it was at creation, it doesn't matter. If we think that we know it all, if we think that we've arrived, if we think that we have somehow, we know exactly how our life needs to go, and this is my five, ten-year plan, and there's nothing wrong with planning, as I've always said, but when I say, no, my way is better than God's plan, man, I have lined myself up in the wisdom of this world. And what a ruse it is. But notice thirdly here, the Apostle Paul, he's already called them to, to, to refuse to refuse deception. And he's given the reason why we would even find ourselves deceived if, is when we think that we're wise in this world's ways. But thirdly, notice the realization of deception in verse number 18. Here's the result. Here, here's how we ought to respond. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, guess what he says? Let him become a fool that he may be wise. Listen, maybe you've fallen into this trap of thinking you've got it all together, that you figure it out, and you know better even than God. And can I just be honest with you? I will admit I've fallen into that category at time or two in my life, 
where I think that I know it all, where I think that I know what was better, where I think that, yeah, I know what the Word of God says, but I can get away with this. I, th- hey, I know what the Word of God says, and what, God, what but I don't need to do that, right? Like, like that's, that's literally the, the concept here, that I, I've arrived, I've figured it out. But notice what he says here to the, to the response to that. Instead of being wise in the world's estimations, instead, become a fool. Wow, that doesn't seem very encouraging. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to walk around being known as a fool. So we, we find the cure of this deception here in verse number 18. And the cure is to become a fool. But what does that mean? Well, that's where context comes in where we need to study the scripture literally and interpret it the right way. And so we go to the word fool. The word fool is translated from a Greek word. That that Greek word is moros, which is where we get the word moron. Okay, now hold on, preacher. You told me that if I follow it in context, I get a better understanding. I don't want to be a fool and I don't want to be a moron. So what are we talking about? Well, here, context is still going to play the role here. Follow along with me. When he says the word fool, meaning uh, like we would think of a moron, fool, he says, let us become fools in the world's estimation. Not a true moron, not a literal fool, but he's saying, let us, in the eyes of the world, be seen as if we were foolish. Why? Because notice the constraint of deception, in deception. If we are going to become fools in the eyes of the world, it's going to take some constraint of our own pride. Listen, my friends, when we consider the, thing, the wisdom of God compared to the wisdom of this world, it's often at complete odds with each other complete opposites of one another. And in many cases, we could come to the wisdom of God if we would just go to the opposite end of the spectrum of the wisdom of this world. Let me give you some examples of that. A couple years ago, I was out knocking on doors, as I mentioned, and inviting folks to the services using these invites. Well, not this one exactly, but uh, using tracks like this, right? And I knocked on a door over here on the south side of town, just on the west side of 92, and, and uh, walked up to the door, knocked on the door. The guy opened the door. I introduced myself, told him who I was, and tried to hand him one of these invites, these gospel tracks. And he said, I don't want that. I don't believe in that hocus-pocus made-up stuff. I'm an atheist. And he starts to get very... Um, uh, aggressive. Let's just put it that way. Aggressive with me. And I'm not trying to get in no fist fight or anything like that. Or, you know, so I'm tr- I want to try to defuse the situation. And if he doesn't want to talk with me, that's fine. I'm at his house. I'll quickly, I'll, I'll gladly turn around and go someplace else and all that. But he has, he's, he's getting a little aggressive. And in fact, as I stri- strive to, a little, to backpedal a little bit, he's coming out the door. And I'm thinking, oh man, I'm about to get punched in the face. I can see it on the news right now. Pastor punched in the face while out trying to tell others about Jesus. But anyways, uh, you know, I, I'm, tr- I'm taking a couple steps back, and I noticed when I walked up the driveway, the, the garage was open, and I noticed several uh, old, old bikes, old mo- uh, not bikes, motorcycles uh, in there. And uh, so I just tried to defuse the situation and quickly said, hey, uh, you know what? I understand you have your point of view and all that, and I respect that. But man, I couldn't help but notice your motorcycles as I was coming up the driveway. And his, his, uh, his countenance completely changed. 
He was no longer mad at me. He's like, let me show you those things. And he like t- says, follow me. I walk right into the garage with him and he's showing me the, this Indian that he's got and he's rebuilt and uh, all these types of things. And he even points out that over in the corners, there's this box, right? And it's full of some uh, motorcycle parts for a, for a uh, motor, for the engine. He says, yeah, I just am, I'm missing one part. Once I get that, I'll put it together. I'll slap it on the frame. You'll see me cruise around town. It's going to be sweet. And I was like, man, that's awesome. I said, so you're telling me that box is full of parts that if they were put together, it would make an engine. And if it was put on a motorcycle frame, you'd be able to drive it around. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, so if I came over to your house and I put a stick of dynamite in that box and lit it on fire and it blew up, then that box that's full of motorcycle parts and pieces in that explosion would somehow miraculously all fit together in the right pieces and all the screws would go into the right places and they tighten down to the right extent and all that. And that big explosion would somehow make a awesome motorcycle. He looked at me. He's like, I see what you're doing right there. He said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that God created anything. I believe that came from a big bang and evolution and all that. Where, where man's wisdom says evolution, God says creation. See? Opposites. Where, where man's wisdom would promote self-esteem. Now, I'm not, talking about, I'm not saying that we ought to, to like go walking around on being down on ourselves and, and uh, talking to ourselves about how bad we are. But, but listen, there is this there is a extent to where we can think too much about ourselves. That's, that's the world mindset. That's the world's wisdom. You know, if you want to be somebody, if you want to make something, you got to have that, uh, that self-esteem, and you just got to put yourself out there. You know what the Bible tells us? God hates pride. See, there's, there's, there's opposites there. Where, where man's wisdom would say, oh, well, yeah, I don't know about heaven. I don't know about God. But if there is one, there's got to be multiple ways to get there. But Jesus says, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See, the world's wisdom says one thing, God's wisdom says the other. And what Paul means when he says to become spiritually wise, we must be willing to seem foolish in the eyes of the world. Yeah, we would be a moron when it's compared to how the world sees things, but we would be infinitely wise when compared to the true absolute wisdom of God. Notice, lastly, before we close, notice the rebuke of deception in verses 19 and 20. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. See, Paul's helping, trying to help the believers in Corinth and us today to understand a principle about God. Something about God that will help us down the road, that will, will guide us as we live our life. And notice with me, and we've kind of alluded to it already, but notice the contrast of deception. Verse number 18, 19, I'm sorry. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Opposite ends of the spectrums. We discussed that as well. But notice what he says in the latter part of verse number 19. For it is written, when we find those words, for it is written, that is a reference to, an old, if it's in the New Testament, it's a reference to an Old Testament scripture. In particular, he says, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. The reference that he's, he is referencing here in this verse is Job chapter 5 and verse number 13. Now, let me ask you something, if you know anything about Job. Job's life was a little rough, wasn't it? I mean, Job here, he was just trying to do what was right by God, and uh, Satan comes along. God gives Satan a little bit of license to be able to affect Job's life. And he starts to 
kill off Job's family. He kills off the, some of his possessions like cattle and livestock and things like that. And Job is just found in like the pits of despair, right? Job's friends come to Job and say, man, Job, what'd you do to get God so mad at you? Man, you must be living in some deep, deep sin. Like God only does this type of thing to people who are reprobate. Like what is wrong with you, Job? You need to repent. You need to get right. That's, that's real encouraging from your friends, right? Man, that's exa- but that's where Job's at, right? But Job says, I'm not going to get discouraged. Here these men, his friends, were thinking in the world's wisdom. Well, this must be a result of some bad action, some sin, and that's why you're being punished. Was he being punished? No, we know that. Job was not being punished. Job was an upright man, and the Bible says he eschewed evil. Like, he, he, he wanted to do what was right. This was not a punishment, but in, the, in his friend's estimation, it had to be. See, they, weren't, they left God out of the equation. They didn't seek God's, uh, 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 God's guidance in how they should help their friend, and they did more, could have done more, more harm than good by leaving God out of the equation. What does wife do? Hey, Job, you sorry old guy. Why don't you just curse God and die already? Oh, man, what a help meet she was, right? <laughs> but in both scenarios, these individuals just left God completely out of the equation. They thought they knew what was best in the world's wisdom. But Job just wanted to do what was right. And here we find Paul is quoting from Job 5 and 13 where he says these words, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Notice the consequence of of deception. That word taketh here in verse number 19, it's a Greek word that is used only once right here in the New Testament. It's a verb that is in the present tense, and it, it tells us something about the character of God. This word literally means to seize, to catch, to grasp by the hand, to lay hold of, or you could say to trap in a net. What the Bible says is that God catches, he taketh, he arrests the wise, the wise of this world in their own craftiness. He says, you think you've got it all together, but let me show you how powerful I am. And he'll quickly snatch them up and catch them in their own craftiness. Notice the collapse of this deception as we close this last thing here. Notice in verse number, nine, uh, verse number 20. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, again, the wise of this world, that they are, what's the last word there, church? They are vain. See, in verse number 20, Paul says that the efforts of this world are ultimately useless. Because when we put effort into something, we want to receive the reward for that effort. When we put effort into something, we want to be able to enjoy the fruit of that labor, right? Now listen, we might be able to Focus all of our attention on patting that bank account, getting that mansion of a house, driving around in that super sports car, and, uh, and doing everything that it takes to do so, even to the extent of neglecting what we know God would want for our life. We could, uh, we could achieve that, couldn't we? Now, are you telling me that you're not going to enjoy that sports car as you're racing down the highway? You're trying to tell me you're not going to enjoy the luxury of that living in that mansion? You're trying to tell me you're not going to enjoy the security of having all those zeros in that bank account? No, obviously you're going to enjoy that, but it's just going to be for a period of time. It's going to go away one day. Wealth will fade one day. And even if it doesn't in your lifetime, when you go to the grave, you're not taking it with you. Your house, it's going to have termites. It's going to have rodents. It's going to have problems. That car it's going to break down. All those things are just simply temporal. 
So in man's wisdom, yeah, it seems like build up a life that you want right now and enjoy it to the foolish. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just have a good old grand time. But God says that's the way the world sees things. All that's temporal. But what matters most are the things that are eternal. And when I live my life dedicated and devoted to what God's plan is for my life instead of my plan for my life, hey, it might not seem by the world that I've arrived and I've been as successful as they might be, but in the grand scheme of things, boy, what blessings have I received. Boy, what an impact God has done in my life. And the difference is what? The difference is whether or not I yield to God and His wisdom or whether or not I take the reins of my life myself and do it in my own ways. And Paul here is warning this church at Corinth. He says, do not deceive yourself. He didn't say don't let somebody else deceive you. He says don't let yourself deceive yourself. Don't think that you've arrived. Don't think that just because you've gotten away with it yesterday that you're going to continue to get away with it. Don't think that just because that you uh, have neglected to do what you know God wants you to do over and over again, that he's not going to come and say, I have a plan for you. Get your head on straight and follow me. He says, be careful. Don't let yourself be deceived by yourself. How many of you have ever heard the, uh, the phrase, you're going to have to face the music? That phrase came from the fact that an individual, a very wealthy individual, he had a grand desire to play in this great imperial orchestra. He uh, went to the, to the conductor of the orchestra. He wanted to, uh, to enroll. He wanted to be a part of it. He wanted to be part of the orchestra. The only problem was this man did not play an instrument at all. He couldn't play a note. I mean, literally, if you picked up the guitar, guitar you could pluck a string, but it, wouldn't, it would just not, it'd be horrible. If he picked up a trumpet, it would be just the worst. If it was a violin, oh, heaven help us. <laughs> Violins are beautiful as long as the person knows how to play it. The person don't know how to play it, it might be like worse than fingernails on a chalkboard. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it's just, it's rough, right? This man couldn't play a lick. But because of his wealth, because of his prestige, because of his position, he finally convinced the conductor to allow him to be part of the orchestra. They put an instrument in his hand, and he pretended to play, but he wasn't actually playing. They put a microphone in front of the instrument, but it wasn't on. And so he had all the accolades. He got the, the praises, the pat on the back and the applause, and the staying ovations with the rest of the orchestra after they had played. And man, he was living it up. He was in the limelight. Until one day that certain conductor decided that it was time for him to retire and the orchestra got a new conductor. And that conductor said that every single person in the orchestra had to give a personal tryout to be, continue to be a part of it. So one by one, each uh, person in the orchestra, the violinist and, and, uh, and, and, the, uh, and the, uh, the trumpet player and so on and the, the flautist and so on, they all stand in front of the conductor and they're playing their parts and individually until it came to this man... He held the instrument in his hand and fiddled with it a little bit, but pretend, and then he had to finally, in shame, hang his head and say, I really don't know how to play. And that man had to face the music that day. My friends, we can pretend, we can pretend, we can pretend. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we put off and put off and put off the maintenance that we need to do in our spiritual life. We don't do what we know the Lord is leading us to do as a church because, you know what, we're good. You know what, I've been going to church, and, and all my life I've been in church, or I've been in church for months at least, and my life is good, and 
And we're not recognizing the fact that God is still wanting to work in our life and to take us to a new place, a new step in our spiritual walk, the next step, if you may. Maybe there's something in our life that we know that God would not have there, but we say, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll just continue to get away with it. And we're deceiving ourselves in the thinking that we're okay when we're not. And Paul says, watch out. Because when we deceive ourselves, we are prone to allowing the things that need to be addressed to continue to go on unaddressed. And as we looked at last week, when one defiles the house of God, what will ultimately be the result one day? Complete destruction. And so my friends, this morning, the, the, the message is simply clear. Don't allow deception to run rampant in the house of God. In your life individually, don't allow yourself to deceive yourself thinking that you're okay when you're not. Would you just turn to God and say, God, I want you to be, I want your word to be my mirror. I want it to reveal where I am and who I am and what I could do to, to better be a light for you, to allow you to have that work and that reign in my life. But oftentimes we just say, no, I'm okay. I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I don't need to grow. I don't need any change. I'm comfortable. And God says, have you forgotten? You're my construction project. You're not your own. And so don't deceive yourself. Could you stand to your feet with me, please, this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I have a time of invitation just quickly, briefly. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure that I'm saved. And I do know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die today, I, want, I am 100% sure that I'd spend eternity with my Savior. Could I rejoice with you? Would you just slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony to that end? I know that I'm saved. I know heaven's my home. Hands all across the auditorium. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Praise the Lord for that. I wonder if there'd be anyone here this morning who'd just be honest enough to say, Pastor, honestly, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. I don't know that I've ever been born again. Maybe this is an area in which you have been deceived, deceiving yourself in. I've known people that have grown up in church. And just because they've gone to church or because their family was rarely involved in the church or whatever, they said, yeah, I, I must be a Christian. But friends, a Christian is not a Christian because of what they do or where they go. Just like me standing in a garage doesn't make me a car. Just because I go to church doesn't make me a Christian. And just because I do certain things doesn't make me a Christian. I could even sit in that garage and I could make vrooming sounds and it doesn't make me a car. So just because I do good things and just because I go good places doesn't make me a Christian. What makes a person a Christian is what Christ has already done for them. That he shed his blood on Calvary. He was buried and he rose again. And when we trust him as our personal savior, he, he saves us, he renews us and makes us a Christian. And maybe this is somewhere where you've been deceiving your own self, thinking that it is all good, and everything was okay, but you know that you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody today. I would not try to do anything like that. I don't want to convince you of something that isn't true. But I'd like you to consider your heart today and ask yourself this question, have I ever been born again? Do I know Christ as my Savior? If you're here this morning and maybe you've deceived yourself into thinking that you're something that you're not, and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I am saved. I don't know that heaven is my home. I don't know that I've been born again. I wouldn't want to embarrass you. I wouldn't want to call you out or anything like that. But would you allow me the opportunity to pray with you? 
the opportunity to pray for you that the Lord would give you the faith to, and the realization that it's Him alone that can save you and nothing else. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved, could I pray for you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down anybody like that? Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. Then one last question. Who here would say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. That's settled. But I know that I can be prone to thinking that I've got it all taken care of. That I am good to go. I don't need any adjustment. That I'm all right where I'm at. I don't need any growth. I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I don't need any change. Maybe there's some things I know in my life that, I, I, that are not right, that I know God would be displeased with. But I just keep going on, trucking through, trucking along with it, thinking that it's okay, that I've gotten away with it before, and I'll just continue to get away with it again. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I know God's working in my heart to do something for Him, and I've been pushing it off. I've been saying, no, I won't do that. It's just out of my comfort zone. But you know the Lord's been leading you to do something in service for Him, and you've just been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, deceiving yourself, thinking that I'm okay. He really doesn't need me. Here you would say, Pastor, the Lord's spoken to my heart in some way through the message today in ways that I could have deceived myself. And Pastor, would you pray with me that I'd allow the Lord's way to be done in my life, that I'd yield to Him? Could I pray with you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down? Hands all across the auditorium. Honestly, I think if we were all to be honest with ourselves, we all could raise our hand in some aspect, some place where we know that we've lied to ourselves when we know that we're not exactly where or allowing the Spirit to do what He'd have us to do in our life. I'm going to pray. The piano is going to begin to play. And when I'm finished praying, I want to encourage you, if you'd like, to come down here to the front and use the steps as an altar. And just uh, give this, this, this situation, circumstance, whatever it might be, give it over to the Lord. Respond accordingly to Him and yield to Him today. Maybe you're not able to kneel, but right there in your seat, you'd lift up your heart in humility unto the Lord and say, Lord, have your way in my life. I'm done lying to myself. I'm done deceiving myself. Lord, your way is what needs to be done. Our Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this warning. And Lord, I ask now that You would just... Take the, uh, the word that has been delivered and uh, just apply it to our hearts and our lives. Convict our hearts through your spirit like only you can. And Lord, we ask that your will be accomplished through this time of invitation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano begins to play this morning, if the Lord spoke in your heart and you'd like to come to the front, you're welcome. Maybe right there in your seat, you tumble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, here's your will. H have your will in my life. I'm giving over mine. I'm, I'm letting go of the reins of my life and the reins of my heart. And I'm giving it over to you. Whatever your plan is, whatever your work is, whatever your way. Maybe I've been holding on to something. And I've said, you know what, God, you can have every, every, every other aspect of my life except this. Because I know what's best there for my life in that situation. I know, I know how I ought to handle that. And you left God out of the situation. Maybe it's a job opportunity. Yeah, I've, I, I know what I should do next. No, and you've not even asked the Lord to guide you and give wisdom. Maybe it's a circumstance in, uh, in some type of a friendship or something along those lines, and you don't know what step to make, and you think you know, but you've not even sought the Scriptures. You've not even asked the Lord. Paul says, be careful. Don't deceive yourself thinking you know what's best. Turn to the Lord. Let Him guide you through it. Maybe it's an area of service. You know there's something that could be done around here for the work of the Lord, and you felt like the Lord would have you to be a part of that. He said, no, that's, that's not for me. Somebody else can do it. 
Maybe you just need to say, Lord, no, whatever your will is for me. I don't know better, but you do. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, but they're higher. They're better. So will we just yield to him today? Will we say, God, I'd rather be considered a fool concerning the things of this world and be wise in your wisdom than to be considered the wisest individual on this earth and to be far from your truth. Thank you for being here this morning. I pray that the Word of God was a, a help to our life. Uh, sometimes we, we would say encouragement, but sometimes what we need is a little correction. And uh, sometimes we just need to be reminded. As Paul reminded the church last week as we discussed, hey, we're not our own. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And now we need to be careful that we yield to Him so that we do not de- deceive ourselves in the thinking that we've arrived someplace we've not. We're going to pray, be dismissed here this morning, asking the Lord to be with us as we continue on with the day and the afternoon. Of course, um, tonight, 6 o'clock, we'll continue on with our evening services. Our Pee Wee Patch Club, Pee Wee Patch the Pirate Club, which is three, four, and five-year-olds, will be performing this, this evening. And uh, so if you have a child that's in Pee Wee Patch on Wednesday nights and they'll be performing tonight, please make sure to have them here early, about 5.30, so that they can kind of go over things and be ready to go for that performance tonight as well. But I hope that the Lord gives you a wonderful afternoon and all that is uh, going to take place, and hopefully be able to see you again tonight as well. So let's pray, and Brother Matt Bodwin, why don't you pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we dismiss this morning, please. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for being able to come together and worship you and learn about your word, Lord, and we just ask that you would keep us safe as we go our separate ways, Lord, and and keep this word in our heart and not just be hearers, but be doers of the word, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.